Hello, welcome to the 3rd December International Day for Disabled Persons podcast on Talk Architecture, where I am your host, Naziati Muhammad Yaqob, and I will share some thoughts on what it is to be someone who is trained in architecture, an architecture educator, and also a disabled person. What it means to me, the International Day for Disabled Persons, which is today. So I will start by wishing to everyone um, happy International Day for Disabled Persons. If you are a disabled person, I, I'm part of you. And in a way, we're part of a group of people that have challenges in life uh, where the definition now is regarding so uh, attitudinal barriers that leads to physical and communication barriers and many other barriers, attitudinal barriers, um, just barriers, um, which does not allow a person who is disabled by it to be themselves, to be able to flourish, to be able to have a level playing field in many aspects of their lives, um, the working environment, because sometimes mentally it could be a challenge as well, being a disabled person, because you need to speak louder. You need to stand up for your rights. And in these cases, in the circumstances that we are in, is always that extra cost, that extra effort, that extra thinking that we need to do. And we take it in our stride as believers, as people who follow certain faiths, or even having faith in oneself, these things we are we call barriers we deal with them mentally we deal with them uh, with legal instruments we deal with them with with the policies ways and how to get around it and sometimes we just ignore it and just go another way another direction to deal with life so yes, that is an introduction for this session. But uh, I would like to go into, in particular, the circumstances that I'm in. At a very young age, I heard it from my mother that before the age of four, when my second brother was born, I mean, the first brother, sorry, the second born was born in the family, I drew my mother. I I keep on drawing. I mean, I drew my mother 
was pregnant. And then after that, my mother with a baby and I drew and drew and drew. And that was the start of uh, that journey to loving drawings, to loving uh, sketching, and to learn how to love the profession, which is the architectural profession. Till this day, till today, um, on at this age, uh, I'm going to be 60 next year. Till today, till this age, I still love architecture. So I, I could say that I, I could talk about architecture, even though I may not be practicing as an architect in the construction industry. Um, but I have always been practicing in a way that I am in touch with it. Now, with that in mind, I'm also a disabled person and I became more disabled as I age. I'm also, uh, I was a polio survivor at the age of three, from the age of three until now, um, living with polio or post-polio syndrome. And then um, I have other disabilities, uh, including vision impairment on my right eye and also some some other challenges physically as well. So what I would like to talk about is being a designer, an architectural designer, and trained to be an architect, and teaching younger people usually about architecture, not only about architecture, but about embracing to be a designer. How is the individual when they they start off their architectural journey? I recalled liking certain exercise or some projects and not really liking other projects. As always, comforted by sketching and drawing manually. I have the touch, I have the stroke uh, in terms of being able to control the lines and I like to render and uh, work out a problem. Just that there was a lack of theory of architecture or there's a lack of exploration in certain things because our school was very much a technical school. Uh, although it's an architectural school, it is um, the curriculum focuses on uh, being an illustrator and being uh, and the projects were graded accordingly. I think I I I I have a competitive competitive spirit, so I do mind what grades I get, and um, it is an evaluation of myself. Like many people, you you think that uh, getting the grades reflect how you are, and has always been focused on getting the praise by others to recognize oneself, as usual, you know, in in this day and age. In that day and age, sorry, when I was uh, age of nineteen until twenty three. 
And I still felt that way even until I finished my part two in, in, in the UK, in two other universities and polytechnics at that time. And, and it was important for me to actually compete. But when I, I came back to Malaysia, I, um, I worked in a, in a company that expected me to, to get, uh, to, to be, uh, able to work immediately. Meaning that I, they don't really want to spend time on teaching me. So I get, have to get it right from the beginning. So I, I, I had failed before when I was younger at age of 21. And then, uh, uh then again at the age of, um, let's see, 19, yeah, 29. So failure for a person with disability in their lives, uh, does not mean a, it's not particular to person with disabilities that if you're a person with disability, you, you can accept failure more than others. You are more resilient to failure. No, that's, that's not the point. The point is, um, you're just like anyone else. You know, there is, there is preconditioning or, or the background to, to relationships with your parents or siblings. And my, my family, there is a sense of comp- competition. Com- being comp- competitive is, is not extreme, but it's a good sport, you know? It is something that one needs to enter and one needs to do. But it wasn't extreme in a way that you don't get to see... You don't get to watch television or you don't get to enjoy life. You just have to study. You know, it didn't get to that point. But I think we created competition among ourselves as well. But um, thinking about it, thinking about accessibility, we, 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 we tend to think about accessibility uh, in, in a physical accessibility. There's a way... Um, to enter and use the building and exit. This is something that people separate themselves. When you are designing something, you tend to separate yourself from your design in a way that have I complied or, you know, compliance. That's what compliance is about, right? It's codes and standards that in every country you have codes and standards for accessibility for persons with disabilities or the rights of persons with disabilities to access, enter, and exit a building. You know, that's what we have in, in our country, in Malaysia. And, and uh, I've, I've studied and, and, and been to other countries and learned about other countries' codes and similar as well and the issues around the world. But when it comes to designers or architects who happen to be wheelchair users. I happen to be reading some of their thoughts on accessibility and universal design and compliance should be second nature. All of them would say, why should there be a difference? And if you emphasize on sustainability or sustainable design or green building, 
accessibility should be part of it. It's not like an added on thing or something that you leave to the last minute to to comply. Um, one thing that to remember the size of an accessible toilet from the beginning of the project to actually creating one at the end where you try to fit in an accessible toilet to um, a space that is too small, that's a good example of of anticipating accessibility. Like like when you design anything, corridor, you design a space, um, the concept that you think of, um, when you think of the concept, how many people are you thinking about? Are you only thinking about someone who is mobile and there's no impairment and so on, you know, someone who is like maybe a Marine, uh, put someone in from the army or a Marine, you know, like that's what they say when you refer to standards, you know, you refer to the six footer or something, someone who's very able-bodied and able to um, do all the things that, you know, like an athlete. Yeah. Not a Paralympian, but an, an Olympian. Now, when you think about designing for such a person or such an ideal, and you're not thinking about the different needs, the flexibility, or how whether the space is able to um, reasonably uh, make uh, is accessible and safe and usable. You know the three principles of barrier free whether or not from a child to an older person can use that space. So a concept, actually think about that from the beginning, a concept actually, if in terms of you designing a, a space in particular, um, from the beginning, thinking about it in terms of universal design, or the seven principles of universal design, you know, These things, will you have learned them in the first year? So there was this argument that it should be part and parcel of design. Because if, you, if we were to argue that 15% of disabled person in a country plus 17% of older persons in a country equals to about 34%, which is one-third of the population, and you're designing a library or a community space, or a public space, public building, commercial building, and not considering this one-third percentage of people who may need special design or universal design, then you are not really being socially responsible. So that was the, the argument in what I've been reading uh, with reference to uh, architects who are disabled or physically disabled uh, based in, a, in the United States of America. So social responsibility is not something that I can find in the Architects Act in my country, but social responsibility was touched upon by these, um, uh, the AIA, American Institute of Architecture website. So it is encouraged to actually talk about it, to have a conversation about it, of how 
architects in general need to be thinking about the user from the very beginning. So today, marking the international um, day of for persons with disabilities, for disabled person all over the world, we ask of architects and those in the built, built environment professional uh, industry um, to celebrate the idea of including universal design as part and parcel of their designing repertoire and part and parcel of their consciousness, part and parcel of what they intend to do from the very beginning to incorporate universal design principles in their concepts of the whatever that they do for public buildings, for the public, for anything to do with the public, including offices or spaces for corporations to think about the future employee who could be disabled person, a disabled person in whatever disability. So we're recognizing mobility, um, the uh, disabled person who is who has disability physically, cognitively, and sensorially. Is there such a thing? Sensorially, <laughs> sensory disability, cognitive disability, and physical disabilities in general. There are others, of course. We would like architects all over the world and designers and civil engineers, all designers, interior designers, product designers, UI, UX designers. We would like everyone to actually embrace universal design and be part and parcel of their design repertoire their design approach, their personal design approach, and subconsciously, consciously, always thinking about including everyone in their design. So with that, I'd like to finish this podcast, and thank you for listening to the special podcast on on how it is to be what it is to be an architect and how one could assist or how one could practice or how one could think when dealing with designing for all. So with that, thank you so much for listening and take care.